Welcome to episode three of Paranormal. Our topic this time is EVP, also known as electronic voice phenomena. Uh, But before we get into that, we uh, have with us again, Natalina and Trey from our previous episodes, but we also have some new co-hosts and I'd like them to briefly introduce themselves. So we can start with, I guess, Brian. Brian, take it away and just a few minutes, you know, for the audience, you know, who you are, what you do and that sort of thing. Sure. A few seconds. Let's keep it to that. Okay. Um, this, okay. Yeah. I'm Brian Gadawa and, um, um, Michael Eisner's work has had a big influence on me personally and, 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 uh, therefore as a Hollywood screenwriter and a novelist, I now have written quite a few stories, uh, Bible stories, as well as, uh, secular stories that also address, uh, spiritual warfare, supernatural, some of those elements. And I think that, um, that, that's the, the perspective I'll, probably bring to the show okay we also have doug van dorn doug is a pastor doug why don't you introduce yourself yeah i'm in colorado been here pretty much my whole life uh planted a church back in 2002 and been going at that ever since so maybe i'm the pastoral voice or something for this show i'm not quite sure um mike asked me to be on the show and uh probably because uh he edited a book that I did that's kind of a companion to his unseen realm mm-hmm. and a question and answer guide to his book. And uh, I've also written several other books on various theological topics, but also one of those is on the giants because Mike got into my head and I couldn't get it out until I wrote it down. <laughs> but you're also, you've also written, I don't know how much of it you've released in whatever form, but various preternatural, you know, other things like ghosts? Um, well, a little bit in this uh, question and answer book. The bigger uh, version, yeah. Yeah, the bigger version. It's going to have a, a commentary section on it. It's going to go into detail on a whole bunch of those things. Mm-hmm. Good. We also have Doug Overmeyer with us. Doug, I think, as I recall, you're also in, in the pastoral ministry, right? I was. I have been a youth uh, pastor in the past. I'm not currently. That was just a volunteer position, and um, I have an online ministry that it's called CRC.com, and just helps. It tries to provide a sort of a biblical context to help people understand some of the supernatural experiences they're having, and uh, also the unseen realm and the you know the worldview of of the divine council has really been helpful in framing how I think about the supernatural. And, and that is that thumbprint is really all all over a lot of what I write and what I teach on my website. Geographically, where are you? I am in central Illinois, sunny, sunny, central Illinois. No, it's (laughs) it's, it's actually just cornfields, but that's where I'm at. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's jump in here again to introduce the topic a little bit more. Again, EVP is electronic voice phenomena. And again, what we do here on Paranormal is to discuss peer-reviewed literature on whatever the given topic is. And in this case, uh, we read through a few articles uh, to, um, again, just get a feel for some of the things that scientists and other interested academics have tried to do uh, to approach um, you know this whole topic. And by way of a 
longer definition, I'm going to draw a little bit from one of the articles, and I'll, I'll mention the names of the articles, and they will be available uh, to listeners uh, along with the episode uh, page. But EVP are, quote, a class of allegedly mysterious vocal recordings, and while several explanations have been offered to explain their origin, the overwhelming majority of EVP researchers believe that their recordings constitute physical evidence of contact with the afterlife. In other words, most EVP researchers believe that it is possible using various radio and electrical engineering techniques to record the voices of ghosts. Now, that comes from one of the three articles that uh, we read. This, was, this comes from the one by Joe Banks, and the title uh, of that article was Rorschach Audio, Ghost Voices and Perceptual Creativity, and that was found in the journal Leonardo Music Journal from 2001. Uh, we also took a look at an article by Iman Sparus, Failure to Replicate Electronic Voice Phenomenon. That's from the Journal of Scientific Exploration, Volume 15, Issue 3, also from 2001. And then Michael Knees and Charlotte Phillips. Their article was entitled Auditory Pareidolia, Effects of Contextual Priming on Perceptions of Purportedly Paranormal and Ambiguous Auditory Stimuli. Just a classic academies. You know, title there. And that was published in the journal Applied Cognitive Psychology in 2015, so much more recent. Um, those were the three things that we discussed, and that's our topic. Now, just by way of you know jumping in and, and kind of getting into the topic, and then I want to hear what you all thought of the reading material and sort of your perception of, of that, but also the perception of the topic. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from Banks's intro uh, because I think it it says a few things pretty well that uh, I think really help sort of not only set up the topic but kind of you know give a perspective as to where I, I would say probably two of the three sources are coming from. Banks is very uh, transparently uh, a materialist. Uh, he doesn't really have any time for the the notion that there's a non-material reality, and it comes out pretty early in his article. But his, uh, his abstract is very short. I'll just read it. He says, this author considers research into allegedly supernatural electronic voice phenomena, EVP, in light of both anecdotal reports and formal experimental studies of related aspects of human auditory perception. He offers the primary hypothesis that an understanding of the relevant aspects of psychoacoustics provides a complete explanation for most EVP recordings, and a secondary hypothesis that an informed understanding of these processes is as relevant to the emergent field of sound art as studies of optical illusions have been to the study of visual art, unquote. Now, Banks in his article is described in the, the little you know, author information as a sound artist. He lives in the UK. And you can tell reading the article that he has a lot of experience with um, sound mechanics, uh, sound systems, you know, uh, not, not just you know, somebody just playing with GarageBand on their Mac. I mean, you, you can just <laughs> tell he has a lot of experience doing this sort of thing. And what he does is he goes through sort of the, the history of 
what he calls the EVP movement, and he dates that to 1957 when uh, an artist by the name of Friedrich Jurgensen, who was curiously enough a portrait painter of Pope Pius Twelfth, thought he found human voices intruding, you know, present on recordings he had made of his own voice. And then also another recording he had made two years later of birds, birds singing. He thought he heard human voices. And so that sort of launched, uh, again, what Banks characterizes as this movement or this, you know, something that's getting really concerted interest. The field is probably most famous, though, for someone named Constantine Raudive, R-A-U-D-I-V-E. You'll see his name pop up all over the place if you're Googling uh, EVP uh, sort of research. Uh, Raudive supposedly made tens of thousands of recording, you know, tens of thousands of samples or examples, and he became sort of the, the, the central figure in all this. And so Banks gets gets into that a little bit, but to, to make the long story short, he is, you know, pretty critical. Uh, he says here, my initial reaction to hearing this material, again, he, uh, the first time he heard a raw dive recording, Back in 1982, he says, my, my first reaction was sheer disbelief since in addition to being instinctively skeptical about any claims to the existence of the supernatural, I saw the outright forgery of such material would be absolute child's play. The most primitive tape recording and overdubbing techniques could easily produce phenomena of this nature. And what he does in the rest of the article is he talks about that. He references research uh, that really, you know, focus on how people, whether consciously or unconsciously or deliberately, like in a a laboratory setting, how people could be primed to hear certain things uh, in these kinds of recordings and and how that really has an impact on, you know, what's happening here. So he doesn't have any time for any sort of alternative explanation, uh, even even more broadly speaking, any sort of supernatural worldview. Uh, Knees and Phillips, just a brief comment there. That was the article where they actually tried to set up an experiment where they used actual, I shouldn't say actual, they used examples of EVP. Uh, They had people listen to them, but they were mixed in with uh, more clear, sort of unquestioned uh, snippets of vocabulary. Uh, in recordings, and they, the article talks about how they introduced noise to it, and, and again tried to tried to reproduce, you know, the the effect, even down to like megahertz levels. I mean, they were they were very particular about what they did, and they wanted to know if people could actually pick out voices that that they or you know that they actually when they heard the EVP segments, there were thirty eight of them, as I recall, when they heard those. Um, you know, what did they think they heard? You know, what, what words did they think they, they heard? And then how many of, of the people who were part of the experiment would agree? You know, did, did they agree that they heard X, Y, Z? Uh, they also took, you know, part of the group and they primed them. They told part of the group that, hey, this experiment that you're part of has something to do with whether uh, electronic voice phenomenon is legitimate, whether we can actually record ghosts. And then the other half, they didn't tell that. And without you know spilling the beans of the results, that this is what they were trying to do. Is is this is this a real phenomenon? Is it just purely uh, an item of suggestibility? Uh, can people be primed? So on and so forth. So with that, I'd like to to get your impressions. I mean, you can 
any of you can chime in as you will, and we can have a conversation here. But what did you think about uh, what they were trying to do, uh, what they accomplished, didn't accomplish? Again, and and I, I I'll be honest, I was especially influenced by really three things: the outcome of the knees Phillips experiment, and then the articles. I think all of them mentioned two specific earlier studies that had been done about this. And I don't want to name the studies because we'll. I, I'm I'm kind of curious to see if you, you know, were sort of struck uh, by some of the same things I was. But um, I, I have a definite opinion after you know going through the material here, but it, it still generated some questions for me. So, what did we think? Any impressions? Just briefly, I guess I will just off the bat say that I'm the skeptical buzzkill of this particular episode. Um, so I'm playing the role of Dr. Heiser. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I miss it already. <laughs> um, you know, I used to research paranormal stuff from a secular point of view prior to becoming a Christian. And even at that time, I was very skeptical of EVP. So even prior to reading these uh, papers that you sent us, Dr. Heiser, I had a very skeptical mindset. And, and really, a lot of what was revealed just sort of confirmed what I already thought. Um, the, the one paper referencing pareidolia, and the other paper referencing Rorschach, <laughs> you know, um, those were kind of my mindset going in anyway. Um, but I thought that uh, particularly the Nies and Phillips um, paper laid it out pretty well. I thought it was interesting that they proved that people who were predisposed to a paranormal mindset were more likely to hear certain things, whereas those who didn't have that bias wouldn't be as likely to hear uh, specific words, phrases, and that type of thing. Um, although I have to say that I really loved about the Joe Banks article that it opened with a Shakespeare quote. I don't know how common, <laughs> I don't know how common that is with these uh, peer-reviewed papers, but I thought that was awesome. Um, but that just just to kind of expose my bias, that is exactly what I thought going into this EVP uh, discussion. And none of these papers swayed me from that philosophy. In fact, they just sort of confirmed it. Mm. Confirmation bias. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> well, let's, let's hear what, what uh, some others thought. Yeah, this is Gadawa. I, um, I, I agree with Nat too. I, I came in there uh, really sort of being much skeptical about it. I, I've watched some of these shows in, in the course of my uh, interaction with Hollywood stuff, you know, like Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures. <laughs> and, you know, I, I mean, the fact that people believe that the shows, what the, what's happening on the shows, doesn't mean, um, doesn't mean it's not true. The fact that most of it is all just faked, but uh, that doesn't mean it can't be true. But nevertheless, you know, those EVP examples that I've seen on the shows, I would sit there and go, what? How can you hear that? And then they, they, spell, they spell out what you're supposed to hear on the bottom of the screen, right? And then you can go, oh, yeah, okay, now I can hear it. So, you know, you can see that priming going on, you know, all the time with that kind of material. 
so yeah, I came into it also having a skeptical viewpoint. But I also am a, pers- a philosophical bias where I'm always looking for the bias of the writers as well. And there's a couple of things that I found interesting um, that stuck out to me that actually just um, don't actually go against what the writers were saying, but it actually shows that even they had biases they were unaware of. So for example, the knees study, I, I found really interesting and helpful. Um, I found it fascinating that even those who, who were skeptical of paranormal phenomena, mm-hmm. even they, when, when it was suggested that you yeah. know, we're examining paranormal phenomena, et cetera, even they had higher results in hearing voices. And so that's, that's an interesting um, uh, you know, fact that came out of that. But in their descri- I found in their description of the two options they, they gave to the, the various study members, one was they told them the priming. This was the priming thing. Mm-hmm. They said, this is an experimental study, the identification of ele- electronic voice phenomena, purported voices of ghosts in recordings from paranormal research. That was the statement they gave half of their people uh, a number, and then those were the ones that had the higher result of hearing voices. But the other participants, they said, this is an experimental study of the identification of voices in noisy environments. And my initial response was, well, they still primed them by saying there's voices, you know? Yeah, and it's entirely so I th- possible. I, I thought it would have been better if it, they would operate like Skinner did, where one of the other articles wrote about how Skinner just said, listen to this noise that, you know, that you're going to hear. And just if you hear anything of significance that comes to your mind when you're listening to it, write it down. And I thought that that would have been a little bit more objective approach to deal with, with the issue. Um, so even, even trying to be objective – I think that there's an abil- there's an inherent ability to prime people, which is a really to me one of the things that stood out about all of the studies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the mental context was is kind of what they're getting at. If you had a, a framework where you're, you're approaching it, thinking about a certain thing, then you tended to interpret what you heard that way. Yeah, and I couldn't help but to think of like Jar Jar Binks in that Star Wars movie. I couldn't understand a word he was saying, you know, but. <laughs> But like I could kind of get the idea based on what I was visualizing watching on the film. But if you would have taken just his voice and put it anywhere else, it would have just been nonsensical. And I, I, you know, if you put it like I was walking through an airport recently and they're they're talking over the intercom, but I can't understand what they're saying. And and you know, if you would have said, "Well, that's you're on a paranormal investigation," then I could easily interpret what I, you know, I could have heard it and interpreted what I heard separately. I think it was in the, the Rorschach article where he talked about during World War II and the, all the, uh, in the UK, they, they had the, they were listening, that the, the intelligence um, division there in the UK was, they were listening to different signals, right, the signal intelligence, and, and they just heard all sorts of white noise, and they're picking out, trying to pick out specific words to try to piece together, you know, stuff for intelligence purposes. And they did this for years. And they had a whole teams of people doing this, and they never once heard ghosts. But, of course, they weren't primed to think of ghosts. They were primed to think of, you know, Germans. So, but I, I'm sympathetic to that view that they probably, no, they probably weren't hearing ghosts either. They probably were just trying to pick noise out of, out of uh, pick voices out of white noise. But all through these articles, the the worldview of the of the uh, researchers came through uh, some of them more clearly than the other and it's just going to cloud their interpretation of of what they're hearing uh, it's like the one 
uh, article uh, where they had the two students who were the researchers and they listened to all they, – they, they, they tried to reproduce the EVP but they couldn't. And I think these students wanted to hear it. Like they, they were eager to. I think the, the woman, the, the female student actually said I – think, I think it said my name. Well, yeah, right. probably didn't, you know, but, you know, she has 80 sessions and like session 18. I think I heard my name, you know, well, probably because that's what you want to hear. Everyone wants to hear your name. So it, that was just really interesting. I came into the, I came into the, the discussion sort of skeptical also, but the, com- the confirmation bias of the articles of the, of the researchers actually wanted me to reject their findings. <laughs> I, I found the snark in some of them a little yeah. uh, hard, yeah, to, hard to read. Yeah, there there is some of that. You know, your your thing about the airport is interesting because in in the Banks article, he talks about uh, a guy named David Wright who wrote an autobiography called Deafness. He had lost his sense of hearing in childhood, and it, I'll just read you a little part of it because it, what you were talking about is like with Jar Jar versus the airport. With Jar Jar, you could you could sort of see a context, and you could even even though it's Jar Jar, I don't, I don't, I can't remember if Jar Jar even had lips, but you could sort of, you know, go go with the the movements of the mouth and the hands and other means of communication, and and write. Uh, I'll, I'll just read the article, the little section here from Banks. He says, having lost his sense of hearing in childhood, after having learned to speak, Wright found himself able to experience reconstructed sound images projected by his mind into his perceived environment as an extension of visual cues. Lip reading triggered actual voices inside Wright's mind, despite the fact that no environmental information was being provided by his ears. And then he has a quote from Wright where Wright explains this. He says, My deafness was made more difficult to perceive because from the very first, my eyes had unconsciously begun to translate motion into sound. My mother spent most of the day beside me, and I understood everything she said. Why not? Without knowing it, I had been reading her mouth all of my life. When she spoke, I seemed to hear her voice. It was an illusion which persisted even after I knew it was an illusion. My father, my cousin, everyone I had known retained phantasmal voices, even though he was completely deaf. So he continues that these sounds were imaginary. The projections of habit and memory did not come home to me until I left the hospital. One day I was talking with my cousin and he, in a moment of inspiration, covered his mouth with his hand as he spoke. And there was silence, you know, inside his head. That's the end of the quote. So I thought it was really interesting that his little comment about I had been reading my mother's mouth my entire life, you know, that that was part of, of his you know, conditioning. It was part of his priming. And uh, again, you could, when you're, when you're told something, you can start to form, uh, like, like, you know, you walk into some situation and someone tells you, Oh, there's a, there's a ghost in the house and he's a man and he's this age and he's that. And, I mean, you, your, your mind can start to form, you know, a, a, a vision of what you think is going on when you hear a sound and then it starts to fill in or predispose you to hearing certain words because they would fit, you know, into the context. I thought that was really interesting. Well, that's why I like Joe Banks article the, about Rorschach, who I loved in the Watchmen comics. Um, 
Anybody? Okay. <laughs> I got um, it. I got it, Trey. <laughs> okay. So, I, I, you know, Natalina, you, you said he, you know, the, the Shakespeare quote at the beginning, but I like how he ended it with uh, Leonardo da Vinci quote as well. Um, what he was talking about young painters, about how Leonardo said, you go stare at a wall and then you can start seeing uh, the background, and then divine landscapes and then mountains and then a battle scene. And you can start doing that. But his last sentence in that quote is in such walls, the same thing happens as in the sound of bells and whose stroke you may find every name named word you can imagine. End quote. So even Leonardo da Vinci, who studies the creativity, that's what I loved about this article, that it was coming from this perspective. In fact, the guy that kind of kicked off this whole um, industry that studied EVP was an artist. He was a painter. So that's interesting that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I really think that has a lot to do with it. Um, and, and, And these artists who are in tune to their senses have known this and paid attention to it. So I think we project our own creativity into these sounds that are just sounds. You know, Mike, you gave the, you gave the uh, story there. It was a Oliver Sacks. I think is the guy who told that story about that guy who uh, went deaf. Mm -hmm. That was the first thing that went in my mind when, when I read that article was this particular uh, story for a couple of reasons. Um, One is that my mind went straight to myself um, because I can't smell anything and I've never been able to smell anything. So I can like totally relate to the guy. (laughs) First, first thing I ever did with my wife, she gets in the car and, and uh, I said, Hey, are you wearing perfume? She said, uh, she said, yeah. I said, well, you'll never need to do that again because I can't smell anything. (laughs) 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 I was pretty confident, I guess, but, (laughs) um, but so I started thinking, all right, I've never been able to smell anything. And I'm, a, I'm going this way because I want to kind of add a little bit of a wrench to this conversation because I, I find myself a little bit in a like perplexed or something. I, I'm older. I want to believe, but it's even more than that. I feel like I read these articles and I, and I say to myself, yeah, I, I get that people can put information in your mind and you start hearing things. I mean, I completely believe that. But same time, so I can't smell anything. And I've never been able to smell anything. And I know that there's this thing out there called smell. I have no idea what it is. But every once in a while, when I'm not thinking about it, no one's put any kind of a bug in my ear, I get this whiff of something. And I, and I go, am I smelling something? And I start asking people, is there, is there something really strong smelling right now? And usually it's a no. And so I start wondering, is it like, am I imagining this? Or is there really something there? And, uh, you know, I, 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 it just makes me wonder. It makes me wonder. He also had the uh, thing about, um, Salvador Dali with the paintings. mm -hmm. And I I decided to go and look at that painting. Uh, he had one painting called the moonlit landscape of Hitler's face. I guess Dali was really into Hitler. And it's this, Mm -hmm. uh, it's this dual picture image of this like gray, um, lake. And then, uh, it's depressing and, you know, dark and then supposedly and this is another thing that makes me wonder right he tells me that hitler's face is in here by the title of the painting so i stared at this thing and stared at this thing and stared at this thing and i can't for the life of me see hitler there even though i've been told i'm supposed to see hitler in this painting so i again i just wonder it you know i'm i'm told something there's the suggestion but it's not happening to me 
Nat, you wanted to, to jump in? Oh, um, well, first of all, I can relate, Doug, because um, I understand that I want to believe thing that was really going strong with me in the last episode about psychic pets. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> I know. But uh, one thing that kept coming to my mind is, is kind of a personal anecdote. But as, as I was reading these, there was a section in the article that was the Nees and, and Phillips article that talked about how not only were the people with the paranormal mindset biased to hearing voices in, in the, the audio selections that they were given, but also it translated to them being more likely to pick out visual things that other people didn't see. I suppose that would be like orbs, mist, things like that, that they would, their minds would form that into a figure where other people maybe wouldn't see that. And it came to me that my grandmother suffers from macular degeneration in, in her with her vision. Mm-hmm. And um, when she also has severely, um, she, she, she's almost legally deaf as well. And she can pick up some sounds. And there was, when the macular degeneration got to the point where she was legally blind, she started having these crazy visions. Um, and nobody understood it. Everyone thought she was probably suffering from dementia or something. Um, until I started doing some research online and I found that there's something called Charles Bonnet syndrome, which is essentially for people who have, um, partial or severe blindness, they're prone to hallucinations. It kind of speaks to what the, the amazing way that the brain tries to fill in the blanks for things that we can't 100% perceive. And so she would see, if she was feeling particularly frightened, she would see horrible things like faces coming out of the wall and people flying around the room. And she would hear awful cackling laughter and this type of thing. If she was in a very good mood, she would see pleasant things, kitties, puppies, things like that. And she would hear children laughing and, and that type of thing. I feel like that relates to this discussion a little bit because it's a real life condition that shows how the human brain really does try to fill in the blanks and also uses our own biases or our own feelings at the time to shape what it is that we're hearing or seeing. Uh, That's kind of interesting because like in Doug's case, Doug, maybe you, I don't know if you've ever sort of gotten a diagnosis, but is the reason you can't smell um, something that happened to you or is it you know, something else? I had a friend in seminary who was a chemistry major in college and he made the mistake one day of smelling something that he shouldn't have. And it destroyed you know, yeah. his sense of smell you know, from that point forward. So I'm just wondering if, you know, if, if there's some sort of cause that you could you – know, that someone has been you know, able to diagnose with you. Because it, it would be kind of interesting, and I think what Natalina is is bringing out here that that the brain will either try to replace something, or if it's never been there, it, it seems like the the brain knows what's quote unquote normal, and there's right, something it's like what it's supposed to do, or something. Right, yeah, as, right. As long there's as, something that's supposed to be happening, and the brain will every once in a while fire off. You know. Yeah, I've never been able to smell as long as I know. So I don't. It's not like. I know some people that have lost their sense of smell like you, like your friend, and mm-hmm. it's not like that with me. So that's what makes it even stranger. Like why would my brain put smells in there when it's never had that? Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. 
Yeah. You know, because because we, you know, even those those of us with the normal smelling, you know, ability or whatever you want to call it. I mean, we know that's what we're doing or what's happening because of something our brain informs us of. I mean, there's a connection between the brain and, of course, you know, the the uh, anatomical you know wholeness of you know our olfactory cells or whatever it is. I'm not a biologist or a Anything like that, but you know, there, there's some. The brain talks to something. Something on on our body communicates to the brain. So the brain, uh, you know, in either way, you know, either uh, scenario, you know, plays a critical role in informing us that this is a thing we call smelling, and and here's here's what that experience is like. You know, it processes that, you know, for us. But that's really interesting. I and you know, it it does make me you know wonder again a, a little bit about this. But I'm sure if one of the writers was here, he'd say, well, there you go. You know, there you go. It, it, it's, it's a brain function. We, we may not be able to necessarily explain it, what prompts it, what, what shut it off, and what might occasionally fire the thing up. But it is nevertheless a brain function. And so, again, they, they're coming at this from a very, uh, you know, materialistic, naturalistic, you know, sort of perspective. So, um, I don't think I don't think they would hear what you said and and sort of say oh well that that might be an exception in the direction of uh, of a, a, a non material or immaterial or supernatural reality. I think they would file it in that drawer if if, if that makes sense. You know what? Mm-hmm. Obviously, I didn't. You know, I don't know what they think, but I'm I'm guessing that's that's most likely what the, what they're going to say. You know, to something like that. Um, the, the, while we're at it, there, there was there was a couple other studies. Might as well. We, I alluded to one here that I thought were, <laughs> again, for me, this was kind of telling. You know, I, I went into it thinking, uh, well, I'll be honest with you. I I, want, I go into this subject, and what when I see EVP, you know, the ghost voice thing, what I think of is the old. I don't even know if if it's still popular now, but the old reverse speech idea. Okay, are you guys familiar with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And I listened to enough of that years ago where it became really obvious to me that I would never hear what you just told me I heard if you hadn't said it first. Because um, I, I, I listened to an awful lot of that. And so that, that kind of colors my perception. But, you know, I, consistent with that, this is from the Banks article again. He talks about uh, George Miller, a guy named George Miller, who described an experiment that demonstrates the strength of the prompting effect. And here's his little paragraph. He says, David Bruce recorded a set of ordinary sentences and played them in the presence of noise so intense that the voice was just audible but not intelligible. He told his listeners that these were sentences on some general topics, sports, say, and asked them to repeat what they had heard. He then told them that they would hear more sentences on a different topic, which they were also to repeat. This was done several times. Each time the listeners repeated sentences appropriate to the topic announced in advance, When at the end of the experiment, Bruce told them that they had heard the same recording every time, all he had changed was the topic they were given. Most listeners were unable to believe it. Mm. So they're listening to exactly the same thing. And that was the the whole point of the experiment. You know, could, even though it's the same thing, they're, 
they're primed, you know, they're, they're, they're preconditioned and their, and their brain, you know, will take what, what's going into the information that's being fed into it, i.e. the sounds and the brain will help classify or orient what they're hearing to that subject. So this, that study and then the, the thing with Wright, I thought was really telling. Um, again, I hadn't read any of this, you know, specific kind of research before, but I, I thought that was kind of remarkable that, that especially that one I just read, that even though they listen to the same thing, if they're told something, it just changes everything. I tell my wife that all the time. I, are you sure you said that? I, I thought I was supposed to get this. <laughs> right. She doesn't believe me. <laughs> so I wasn't. Well, go ahead, Doug. Go ahead. I was uh, kind of impressed in the Bruce. Is that how you say it? The Bruce article? Yeah, I think it. I think it's Bruce or Bruce. Well, it, he, when he decided to, to try to put together a research project on this, he contacted some people who were, I guess, experts in EVP and he received some instruction that emphasized two things. One, successful experiments have been the result of spiritual purpose, so that spiritual integrity is necessary on part of the researchers. And also they had to, they had to um, establish a contact field to regular and persistent effort. And, uh, I, you know, it's hard to read that. He, if he's a materialist, he had to think, what, what does that even mean? And yeah. for me as a Christian, I'm thinking that is dangerous. <laughs> Trying to contact the spirit world on a regular basis. You're, you know, but, and then later when they didn't get really any results, he basically said, well, perhaps we weren't spiritual enough. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I thought that was funny too. That one, you know, was the journal of scientific exploration and, and that's a peer reviewed journal. But it's it's one of the few journals that is really oriented to the kind of stuff you know we talk about on paranormal. So, it on the one hand, it didn't surprise me that you'd read something like that in a peer-reviewed article. But but it, you know the author it was still something told to the author. So I don't know necessarily of you know what the author's buying and what he's not buying. But I think this is the one. I, I can't remember which one of you said it, but there there were parts of what we read where you could tell, I think it was this one, the one where the, the, the girl thought she heard her name or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was in this one. I mean, you could tell that they, they did want to find something here. So that, 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 that came through in the article. I would agree, you know, with, yeah. with whoever said that I would agree that. Yeah. They were, they were a little more tell. sympathetic. It was, they were, you know, I think they're a little bit frustrated. Someone recommended they have a psych- psychically endowed person involved. But what does that even mean? I mean, just that from a right. I mean, how do you measure that exactly? And I'm surprised in that same article they had to comb through 60 hours and 11 minutes of recordings. <laughs> I'm surprised they just didn't start hearing things, you know, like hour 40. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, did anybody yeah, uh, did anybody notice that in the the Barossus um, article, and then in the in the knees article. So the the first one, they just went to a room in King's College, and I was wondering, well, why didn't you go to like the Stanley Hotel where they filmed The Shining or something like that and try it there? And then the other one, they had a bunch of undergraduate psychology kids that were part of their testing, and I started wondering, well, why didn't you get a bunch of X file nerds or something like that to do your <laughs> testing? <laughs> like I, I thought Brian brought up earlier the the bias, and I just wondered if that might have been some kind of unconscious bias that they put into it. And I, and I was wondering what you guys would think about those two things. Would that make any difference? 
it, it is kind of odd because if if you're doing things in the study to see if people you know can be primed beforehand, then you would think they would have included some of those people and and, and said aha. But but the the other side of that coin would be to to find. I, I guess deliberately as as neutral of a person that that you could, even though they didn't really describe that 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 that's what they were trying to do from from the get go. Well, that's and what I then, would think that you would have yourself. I would think that you would want like some psychology students and then some guys that are true believers or something like that to and then mix it up instead of just having one kind of a person that you're doing your study yeah, with. I, I'm thinking maybe they wanted to. to to control the priming, but yet, yet the, the knees study, they gave him a questionnaire at the end of it. You know, Natalina alluded to it earlier. Uh, I think it was Natalina that, that they, when they get through the study, whether they're, you know, they give them this questionnaire to sort of judge, you know, where are you at on the scale? You know, the, the, the believer, the believer, you know, want to believe scale or something like that. So, you know, why didn't they do that ahead of time? I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, because they don't really they don't really explain that. So that, that's that's a good catch. Anybody else think? You know, what do you think about that? Well, I think doing a study in the middle of a you're trying to hear the voices of spirits in the middle of a, a room and a college. I mean, why wouldn't you want to go to a graveyard? I mean, just the exactly. supposition. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. Take your skeptics, you know, and go to a graveyard. And I, I that would be from a psycho- psychological standpoint, kind of interesting if they would change their opinion of what they picked up, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I mean, there's if you if you believe in the, the idea, or if you want to accept the idea that there are spirit entities running around and these are are ghosts, maybe you want to go to a place where there might be ghosts, which wouldn't be the middle of a college, probably. Yeah. That's a well, good that, point. Yeah, that is a good point. I, I I will I'll tell you what I will email the authors. I'll try to track down their email addresses and ask them that question. We, we you know we could get an update later, hopefully, if one of them replies. You know, who knows if they will. Um, one, let, let's kind of shift our the gears here to, you know, all of us are, you know, going to embrace, you know, a spiritual worldview. We're not going to be, you know, philosophical materialists here and denying that there is an afterlife and all that sort of thing. What do you think, if anything? And I think we've sort of drifted into it already. Um, do, does this have any impact on, you know, how we would talk about the, the spirit world? I mean, I, I wouldn't think it would. Uh, because again, we're, we're all going to embrace that. But then, the, the sort of the related question is: Well, if there, you know, if there is this spirit world, wouldn't we expect, you know, there to be some something that happens, and that might go to, hey, where you held the experiment, like like you were just saying. But let me just throw this out: How can you can you? How do spirits communicate in the Bible in, in Scripture? I mean, how how does it when it happens? How does it happen? And how does this? How does that align with what they're even trying to do here and what we should think? So I'm just going to throw that out. Well, you had brought up earlier that you were going to ask this question, and I started thinking about the story of the uh, Saul going to the Witch of Endor. And um, in that story, when you read it, she sees something and he doesn't. But she actually sees something and he asks her what it is that he looks like. Right. What does it look and, like? Yeah. And then she describes it. And then he he realizes that that really is Samuel. So, and then somehow uh, Samuel was able to communicate. Doesn't tell us exactly how, but um, mm-hmm. th- that's a, that's a more of a that's a that's kind of a unique story in the scripture, I would think. I mean, because because it's not a possession. So the the 
you know, here we have the disembodied Samuel. Okay, well, the, the two views are disembodied Samuel versus a, you know, a non-human spirit, you know, quote unquote demonic spirit. I mean, it, you, you all know where I'm at on this. I think it's the disembodied Samuel. But if if we assume that, then we don't actually have the embodied Samuel necessarily show up. It could be just okay visually. It could be a visualization, that kind of thing. So that's it's still different than a possession where you have a spirit enter into and possess a body. And, and in theory, I mean, like who knows how, what the mechanics of possession is like. Um, in theory, you have the spirit using the physical capacities, the corporeal stuff uh, of speech, you know, what, what, how, how uh, people are enabled to speak just anatomically or biologically. So the spirit can use those abilities and use those faculties to communicate. But in this, in this instance, you don't really have that. At least that's, at least that's the impression I get of the, of the passage. You know, agree or disagree? Did, does Saul actually hear the voice or is he speaking through the, the witch? Does it say? I, I don't remember. See, I, I don't think we're told that clearly. Yeah. Whether he is conversing with Samuel through her or whether all of a sudden he's enabled to hear and has the conversation on his own. Uh, I, I, I think you could read it either way. I don't think it's really clear. Yeah. But either, the, e- either way, um, and within both cases, whether it's a New Testament demon possession or the case with Samuel, you have a medium, some kind of a, a filter that's mm-hmm. being used. And that's what's interesting to me about the EVP topic is that that's a medium. And... Um, I, and that's probably why people are, you know, drawn to it. See, I, I, I would ask is why do spirits need electronic frequencies? In, yeah. in other words, in other words, you, yeah, they, yeah. they, they, they show themselves in scripture. And I think like in, in examples and that, that we might experience with possession or something like that, that they're perfectly capable of letting you know they're there, you know, by using a body or, or, or something like that, or even speaking clearly. Okay, if we take the Samuel example, there, there's another pretty obscure passage. I'll read it from Job because this, this actually isn't that common in Scripture. I mean, possession is pretty common in, in the New Testament. You're going to have uh, mediums in the Old Testament where some of the vocabulary in Hebrew refers to sounds that come out of them chirping or whispering or whatever. But they're still using a medium a person. Job 15, we, we seem to have an instance where there's a conversation with a spirit being without a medium. So uh, verse 15, we'll just start here. Uh, I'll start in verse 12. Now a word was brought to me stealthily. My mm-hmm. ear received the whisper of it amid thoughts from visions of the night when deep sleep falls on men. Dread came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones shake. A spirit that's the normal word for spirit, ruach. A spirit glided past my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. Verse 17, can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Even in his servants, he puts no trust. And his angels he charges with error, you know, so on and so forth. So apparently there is a disembodied spirit here um, that speaks. So, I mean, you have examples like this in Scripture, even though they're, they're the minority. Uh, but you still get it. But 
do, are we supposed to read something like this and conclude, boy, I wish I knew what frequency, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. that the spirit, cause then I could, then I could hear that too. I just don't know, you know, again, maybe it is the whole medium idea, um, that, that you need some sort of filter, some, something to catch the wavelength or whatever. But I think it's a legitimate question. Why, why would spirits even need this? Because they, they can make themselves known, I, I would think. At least that's the impression I get. <clears throat> I think the idea of taking a, a radio, like these spirit boxes are supposed to be like a radio that's somehow tuned between two stations or whatever, or maybe it cycles through all the stations, or, and then it, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's a bizarre to me. You, you go into a, a house or whatever with your little radio on, and it's cycling, it's like a scanner. Mm-hmm. And then you just ask the air a question. I mean, it's very, it's 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 odd to me. Now, other people will take a, a board, a spirit board, you know, and then ask the air a question, and then supposedly the thing is moving. And and I believe in obviously in disincarnate beings that interact and influence people. But I, I think it's it's sort of begging the question of um, of just. Like I think the the research is really interesting in that it could be anything. It could be just a, a radio frequency gone awry. It could be a, a truck passing by and you're picking up something. But because you're you're assuming it's a spirit, why again? Why would the spirit need to do that? Unless right. it's why, trying why to would I need, fear. Right. Know? Why would I need to walk into the building with equipment? I mean, if there's something there that either to torment me or scare me or whatever wants to say something to me, I I think scripturally. I'd have to conclude, well, he's pretty capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't need a contraption, you know, to make that happen. And so, again, that, that colors my perception of the whole EVP thing as well. I mean, it, you know, you know could, could a spirit being do that well? You know, I, I guess so. I just don't know why it's necessary. You know, I, 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 don't, even, I, don't, I don't even really know why we would think to approach it that way other than, oh, spirits are invisible and radio waves are invisible. Therefore, they must be – you know, you know, we have to marry them and then out comes you know, the, the, this result. I, I don't really understand the coherence uh, of the approach. But. So um, let me take a devil's advocate with your question because I, I think the question is a good question and a valid question. But I don't know that it's a either or sort of a thing. It's either – you know, um, so – Yes, it seems pretty apparent that at least at times, maybe when they want to or when they're given permission, the divine counsel or something, they can come and come in the night visions or they can come however they want physically if it's the angel of the Lord or, you know, other angels in the, at the tomb or uh, possessions and speaking to people. But that's a different sort of a thing. That's them coming of their own volition versus them being conjured up like Samuel was. Yeah. And, you know, Samuel didn't ask. In fact, he actually said, Who, who's doing this? Why have you brought me up? Why have you awoken me up or whatever it is that he says? And that makes me think about the prohibitions in the Torah against, you know, witchcraft and necromancy and all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Like they there has to be some kind of a reason for why those are there. And and it seems to me it's because it's it's a dangerous sort of a thing. They can be conjured and they do need if they're conjured, you know, they, they, I don't know if they need mediums, but they certainly use mediums just like people do today. Well, they have to be something. I mean, we're all in a physical world and just particles vibrating at different frequencies. So if they exist, they, they have to be something, some type of energy or frequency or something, right? 
Yeah, that, that's a really tricky question. I, I'm I'm sure we're going to get into that at, at some episode here because that I I can see arguments for that and arguments against it, and and either path that you take produces some thorny uh, theological issues. I mean, you 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 have to. In a nutshell, you have to ask, what is God's relationship to that? Because you don't – well, on the one hand, we can be very free to say, oh, well, they got to be made of something. And that feels like it makes sense. But then you've made the spiritual world part of the material world that you can't see just because it's mm. quantum or something like that. Well, then what about God? Okay, God functions in this world. This is his domain. So is he made of something then? Well, of course, you want to deny that. But then you'd be asked, well, how is it coherent, you know, to say that? And then you have to, again, this is, it's similar to the God and time question, which everybody sort of assumes there's one answer to that, but there's actually not. There are problems with saying that God is outside of time. I mean, theological problems that arise from that. And so you have to, you have to tiptoe around God's relationship to anything that's material, even the stuff that we can't see or detect with our senses, and then if, if you divorce him from that, then you have to answer the question of, well, how is he still part of it? You know, that, that sort of thing. So it, I, I hear you. I hear you. You know, it, you know maybe let, – let's, let's just use this for an example. The Urim and the Thummim. Mm-hmm. Should we view those objects as a medium? Okay, in other words, we have to have this object to discern – the, the thoughts and will of God who is inhabiting the spiritual world. Why? Why? God's perfectly capable of just speaking out of the ether as it, as it is. Why? You know, what's up with the Urim and the Thummim? What's up with the ephod? And in other words, there, there are very clearly objects, you know, I think it was DVD, Doug Van Dorn, who, who mentioned like the Ouija board. Okay. It's an object that, you know, ostensibly, allegedly, you know, a spirit being can use to communicate. Uh, you know, is that like Orium and Thummim? And if it is, well, then why do we need these things? Maybe we do. Maybe we ought to truck in equipment, you know, electronic equipment. That's just the 21st century equivalent of the Orium and Thummim. You know, you, know you, you get all these questions about, on the one hand, it's very easy, and I, and I did, to ask the question, why is this necessary? But on the other hand, even though it's not necessary, you still see it, even in Scripture, you know, again, through the, these objects. And to me, it, it's it's not a very good answer to just say, oh, well, you know, God just told him to do that because he told him to do that. Um, you know, I'm not saying that isn't the answer, but I'd, I'd like something a little a little better than that. I'm going to um, break one of Heiser's rules of, of Scripture just to throw it out there. Um, if, if the appearance of Yahweh in the Old Testament was accompanied by lightning – you know, he wasn't of lightning, but his appearance, you're right. Then maybe the appearance of, of lesser spirit beings might also resonate in electro frequency. Now, I don't really, I'm not saying that because that's reading script, science into mm-hmm. scripture. Mm-hmm. But that's just, someone could, could do that. I mean, sure. If, are they, you know, if a spirit entity enters a room, I mean, we, we do have the spirit of discernment, the gift of discernment sometimes. We're like, oh, something's creepy here or something's good here. You know, maybe that's just maybe, – maybe somehow in our body, our physical body is picking up – you know, our, our own frequency is picking up something intruding in the room. I, I don't really know. I, I think – I kept thinking of John Walton's um, The Lost World of uh, Genesis 1. He, he said something in there that science just is not equipped to measure certain things. 
And it's not a God of the gaps thing. It's just that there's just some aspects of the spiritual world that science just can't measure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I, yeah, it, it, it very well could be. I mean, and, and you could have, if a spirit is an intelligent being, a spirit could decide, oh, you know, I'll, I'll humor that guy down there with the Ouija board. You know, I, you know I'll use that, you know, for, for good or ill. You know, or I would think in the Ouija board, it's basically ill, you know, because that's, I think it deserves its reputation. But I'm going to do that because that'll freak them out. And that just, you know, I want to do that. I want to scare them. I want them to be afraid or something like that. When he doesn't have to, he could just sort of knock, a, you know, something off the table or he could speak audibly or whatever. So, you know, maybe the question is, is a bit misguided. But again, we're, you know, I, I still think it's, it's a good question. Uh, it may not have an answer. You know why? Why this means and not another means, and mm-hmm. and why would the means change? You know, does, does does the question even matter? I guess is a better way of putting it. Uh, it, it. It seems like a good question, but but at the end of the day, if the answer is yeah, all the above, then the, the question sort of loses you know some of its its impact. Can I throw it? Yeah, go ahead, Natalie. Oh, this, this is, I'm going a little bit off the track here, but I have a sort of a third or maybe like an additional option here that perhaps there is sometimes some validity to what is recorded on a EVP, but does it have to be a spirit? And what I'm pulling from is something that we're interested in, in this program, which is PSI or PSI. Mm-hmm. And this occurred to me throughout this process that what if EVPs could be potentially an example of or evidence of a PSI phenomenon? Somebody goes into, say, a haunted house or whatever, and mm-hmm. they are concentrating on hoping that they can capture this audio evidence, potentially, is it possible that they themselves are creating the sound? We've already in paranormal discussed quite a few studies that have had to do with Psy and some very convincing um, evidence in, in some cases that there is something to this idea of our minds being able to impress upon, you know, a physical object or whatever the case is. And in the last episode, we talked about how uh, humans or animals might be able to tap into certain magnetic frequencies, Mm -hmm. you know. So this is something that keeps crossing my mind. What if it's this completely other thing that we might be doing it ourselves. You know, the Buddhists also have a concept of something called a tulpa, which is like a thought form made manifest. Mm -hmm. And from a Christian perspective, I would say that maybe that would be more something along the lines of having a thought or obsession about something that a spirit might manipulate. Mm -hmm. Usually I would say a malevolent spirit would manipulate, uh, kind of giving us the results that we expect. But maybe it was like they didn't necessarily need that means, but that's the outcome that we expected or we were hoping for. So these are a couple of other options that I've been considering. Maybe it's, maybe it's something psychic, you know, that, that this could be evidence of. Yeah. Yeah, Like psychic phenomena, the cause of uh, like poltergeist activity. I mean, uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of where my mind was going. With yeah, it. in 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 lay terms, you know, you're proposing. Well, maybe again, for lack of a better term, uh, maybe people can project this 
you know, I'm going to say this clumsily, but project it onto the recording. Yes. In other words, they're, they're the ones producing it. Or, again, because of, you know, some spiritual ability in an entity can detect something that you are thinking about or are putting enough, for lack of a better term, psychic energy into. They pick up on it and, and, and use it, manipulate it, you know, uh, that, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, would, I would think those things have to be on the table. You know, I, I don't know that I – don't, I don't see how we could necessarily um, eliminate those possibilities – um, we haven't even talked about too. Let's take like guardian angels mm-hmm. again. You know, back to our well. Why would a spiritual being need to do X? You know, need to you know manipulate a, a radio frequency and again if, if if they can just appear. I mean, even physically and do things again. The, the whole guardian guardian angel kind of thing, and even you know, you have to throw in the, the the dark side here. Some demonic manifestation that that can be physicalized. If they can do that, why did you know why not X? Because they're they're I think there's actually a lot of things that are on the table here, um, both in terms of, boy, you know, there's a lot more to think about here than just, you know, EVP, true or untrue, you know, that, that, that you can sort of, you know, land on or at least think about. Again, that, that's my two cents. There, you know, I, I just think there's, a, there's just a lot more here going on, even though I would agree with the studies. You know, I, I thought – I thought the studies did a really good job of showing, again, how priming, at, at, at minimum, priming is a really significant factor here mm-hmm. uh, in, in what, we're, what we call EVP. But that doesn't mean that the subject itself doesn't have lots of layers mm-hmm. and lots of directions it could go. I had these yeah. two innocent little girls that were uh, in my house today, and they had never heard of backwards masking. And when I read that uh, long article... Uh, my mind kept going to that, and he brought it up at the end of the article. Said, so "Isn't have enough time to get into it?" But I thought it related, so I I brought him upstairs and I played "Stairway to Heaven" for him backwards, and I said, "Tell me if you hear anything. Tell me if you hear anything." And they had absolutely no idea what I was doing because they'd never heard of such a thing. They're little, they're little girls, and uh, you know, one said absolutely nothing for any of the any of this, you know, the phrases or whatever, and then the other one, she said she thought she heard the word Satan. <laughs> which of course is, is supposedly in that, but you know, I just, uh, I think that idea of priming somebody ahead of time is there's no doubt about it. And then, then I showed her the, what she was supposed to hear on YouTube. But what was interesting was that even when she saw what she was supposed to hear, she, she looked at it and goes, what? I don't hear that. <laughs> well, if you remember some of the articles talked about that issue that they had to keep repeating. They had to keep listening over mm, and over. Yeah. And then at some point they had this breakthrough. Oh, of course. You know, yeah. Of course. You know, and a couple of the, the studies did wonder, you know, is, is just, just the sheer repetition? Like is your brain being trained, you know, to, to hear something that it ordinarily wouldn't the first time? It kind of a, a, a back-end priming, you know, just Which- by virtue of the repetition. Which is the essence of a lot of tr- trance, uh, trance and meditation, right? I mean, it brings you into that religious state or that uh, you know extra extra state where you can then hallucinate or see all kinds of things. You know, we might be back to Barusha's article where 
He says, we know of no successful systems which do not have one or more psychically endowed persons involved. And I can't remember if it was which Doug or whatever said earlier that, you know, the, the danger of, well, you know, we're not supposed to be talking to the dead. So, you know, that's a, that's a, that can be a dangerous thing. Yet on another level, within our Christian worldview, isn't that really possibly consistent? Meaning it's not so much these physical devices, it's the human persons that are, are part of it. And so if there is a, you know, as much as there's fraud and, you know, we're agreeing a lot on the skeptical aspect of it, but just like the UFO phenomenon, if, you know, 80, 90% of this is fraud or, or can be explained through physical uh, explanations, there's still a certain amount that could be real and true. And what is that based on? And as from a Christian worldview, don't we see the fact that, look, you know, biblically, this does occur. There seem to be in Book of Acts and Second Samuel with the Ob. There are some people that seem to be more spiritually sensitive to these things, and certainly those involved in the occult. And the and when you look at the you know you do your Bible or you do your you know research behind background to the Bible, and you find out well these people do engage in ritual activities using physical objects, and that's part of the whole package. The Ob did it, you know, and so. So it's not so much that the, the physical things themselves are the mediums, but the, 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 the individual people's, people involved could have if – if there's any reality to, to any of it, maybe it's residing in that human connection that does have a connection to the spiritual world. You know, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change one word of, of the phrase that you began with. And, and when I change it, I'm not, I'm not going to deny – um, that, you know, there, because, you know, of, of who we are, there, there, there's something to be said, uh, for how we're made. And, you know, again, like Trey said, Hey, we're all just a bunch of little things vibrating anyway, you know, that kind of thing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to deny that, but instead of physic or psychically endowed, <laughs> could I substitute psychically susceptible? Yes. Okay. Because those are two different things. And, and that leads me to something, you know, Natalina just said a, a minute or two ago about, uh, I can't remember the phrase used, but, but essentially spiritual practices. Does what we're talking about with this topic in any way affect how we should look at, quote unquote, spiritual practices that make us, you know, open, I would say susceptible to what we think is the spirit of God, in other words, mysticism, okay, the, the, these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Because to, to me, some of that, there is an overlap um, with the kind of thing we're talking about. You know, if, if we do certain things to ourselves, to condition ourselves, even though we might be doing them to be open to the, to the you know, spirit of God or whatever, uh, we, we do certain practices could we say that we are making ourselves more susceptible? That, that, that word has a little bit of a sinister feel to it, but I'm using it deliberately for that reason. Um, are we making ourselves more spiritually susceptible to just the spiritual world, this, this unseen you know, world generally? I think so. I, th- I think, it, too, you see a hint of that in the passage um, in Job that you read earlier when the guy's you know, in, in his sleep – and so his mind's at rest. It's all quiet around. And then the spirit comes, I, I suppose, wakes him up or, and, and then imp- influences him. 
um, these things do ha- see these things. Uh, what I mean when I say that people do seem to have spiritual negative spiritual activity in the night, you know, when they're in the quote unquote witching hour. But I mean, there's something to that. I mean, people are when they quiet their mind and they turn off all the electronics around them, you know, that that that's when they, people seem to pick up on spiritual activity. Whether that whether that's you know earlier I had my quiet time you know, with the Lord, right? That's we even use that language. Um, but I, people can have quiet time with with enemy spirits as well. Well, I, I wonder again, just because I love to be controversial, um, <laughs> I, I have to wonder whether the whole this whole concept of you know opening ourselves i.e. being susceptible willingly susceptible and this this we've used the word priming uh, a lot uh, is that a factor and i think it is in again for for lack of a better term in quote unquote charismatic churches you know when when i say that i i don't mean you know just generally open to spiritual gifts and that kind of thing i'm talking about you know, the places you'd go into and they're literally bouncing off the walls, you know, the, that kind of thing. It, it seems to me that, that you've got to have some degree of priming of people and making them susceptible, putting them into a certain state of mind for that kind of thing to really hold a person, not only just their attention, but just capture a person. Uh, I, again, I hate to that, – that sounds maybe too sinister, but you know what I mean, that, that, that there's just a – there's a priming you know, that, that goes on with that. And I, I tend to sort of inherently um, view a lot of that, even if it's well-intentioned. I, I think it deserves a little more caution than maybe even uh, we're willing to give it. I would say that that lends itself to intention, being susceptible to it. And I just think some people might just be sensitive to it. In what way? Like unpack that a little bit. Just attracting it. Maybe there's something about them, their energy or spirit or something that these ghost spirits, entities are attracted to and manifested what we hinted, uh, touched on earlier that it's them that's projecting it to the radio frequencies, not necessarily the radio frequencies themselves, but it's the person that's the medium per se. You know, maybe they're, Mm -hmm. they're just open unwillingly to the spiritual world because something about them is more sensitive to that unseen realm. That, that, you know, that's really interesting because let, let's say you were, you were aware of that. Let's say that was real and you were aware of it. I mean, to me that again, that's a precarious thing because that means you might be tempted to experiment, you know, to quote, develop this. Or you might be willing to have other people experiment on you or, or, or encourage you to do things, to quote, develop this or, or play with it. I mean, whatever word you want to put here. Um, it, again, being that way, again, wouldn't be really, uh, you know, something bad. But your decisions as to, okay, now that I'm aware of this, this proclivity I have, this sensitivity I have, um, what do I do with it? To, to me, that, that becomes the moral issue. Um, you know, what, what are you going to subject yourself to? Well, isn't that kind of just marketing? 
I mean, you're watching a commercial and they're trying to prime you to think a certain way. <laughs> you go into a Catholic church with its beautiful stained glass windows and, you know, when the, 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 the priest speaks, his voice echoes through the hall. I mean, you're being primed a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, or you go to certain services and they darken the lights during worship and they, you know, it, it's, I guess you're right. It's, but you have to make a conscious choice. I'm going, I know I'm going to set my mind a certain, I know I'm being influenced a certain way. I mean, people, hopefully they recognize they're being influenced. Maybe they don't. Maybe people go to a political convention not realizing they're being programmed to think a certain way. I think too often we check, I think your concern is people are checking their brains at the door and just being led emotionally. And that's certainly, I think, why people get involved in the, in the occult is they don't have a, a mental grid to think about it. So they're just following their emotions or their feelings. Yeah, I think it could happen in either an occult setting or, or, or church. If if I'm the, you know, the, the the cult leader or the pastor who has this streak of manipulation, I know that there's going to be a certain number of people here that are going to be susceptible to certain things, and I use that. You know, those are all decisions. I mean, on the reverse side of it, yeah, you know, it it does help. You know, I, I I prefer you know a worship experience that is on the quieter side or something like that. I mean, they're they're not necessarily bad abilities or proclivities or sensitivities, but I think we need to be aware of them. We need to be aware of how we can be self deceived and or also have them um, have them manipulated by someone else. You know, just just sort of a sense of awareness and then again trying to. Um, discipline or direct these things or, or, or orient ourselves toward, toward the right things as opposed to something that um, can be very self-willed and power-seeking or, or, or something like that that can really lead us down a, you know, a, a pretty dark path. That, that's more you know, my concern. I'm, I'm sort of inherently you know, suspicious of, of these kinds of things because I, I do think that they're real. I do think there's something to it. And I think that, that the people who emerge as quote unquote leaders, whether they be cult leaders or whether they're just a, you know, someone who's an expert in pulpit manipulation, I, I don't even like that because I, I just think that sort of thing is wrong um, to get a certain result because of some behavior I do that I'm doing to capitalize on some proclivity that you have. I just think there's something illegitimate about that. But that, again, that's me. I don't well, I think I think that's a fair. I think it's a fair question, though, to ask. Like w- w- to the topic of priming. I mean, you know, you you see advertising for certain services where it'll say right in the advertisement, or like Doug said, a matter of marketing, really. But you know, prepare to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, a supernatural. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, that in and of itself is priming. Now you are going into that situation expecting that you're going to have this supernatural experience and this encounter with a in, in a spiritual way. So of course, I mean, that has to be at least a priming has to be a factor there. Yeah, I, I would think so. I've I these aren't my my circles. I've only been to one church where where it was it was so transparent and so disturbing um, that I was glad that I don't go here every week. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I'll just give you the, the quick overview. I, I I went to a church that was what I would call Bapticostal. Uh, it wouldn't have classified itself in the in the charismatic movement, but it it, it was th- this blend of 
a Baptist church and a Pentecostal sort of environment. And and you, you went in there and there were just people doing some pretty strange stuff, you know, running around the aisles, you know, waving handkerchiefs, you know, but that was kind of mild. Okay. But it dawned on me about two or three songs in that the pastor was nowhere to be seen. And the guy who was leading songs, and this went on for maybe half an hour, he would periodically say, our pastor's almost here. You know, we're almost prepared, you know, to have the pastor, you know, preach to <laughs> us. And, and it was like this, this showtime buildup, you know, like, like uh, you, you go to a presidential lecture and the guy's, you know, an hour late, you know, it, it's this, it was this deliberate building of anticipation for this guy to make the appearance. And when he did, it was like the, the place just like, it just, everything just went up 10 notches, you know, like, oh, he's here, you know. And, and, and I thought, boy, is that dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. that yeah. is just, I, I mean, I would, today I would say that's just wicked. Yeah. I, I was going to say that's evil, that. man. <laughs> yeah. And I have never seen it before, but it, it was a good thing to see because it was very effective. It was really effective. So whatever he says is going to be the word of God, and yes. you better do it. You know that's just that's just cult of personality. Yeah, like, that, did, that is just priming. I mean, that that's what that is in sort of a bizarre form. But go ahead, Doug. Did you did you Brian. try to get did you try to get an EVP while you were there? <laughs> no, I didn't. But but. But I'll bet if I if I had, I would have gotten one. <laughs> you know, not okay, so let me ask a, hoping, Some uh, spirit would have been saying, "Come on down." You know, yeah. <laughs> no, actually, Mike. So, somebody in the back has a microphone, and there's an earpiece, and they're telling yeah. them the people's names and where they're from, and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boy, not the truth. Yeah. So let me ask a question about EVP then, in relation okay. to this. Okay. So I. I take the prohibitions against contacting witches and having them contact the dead. Like I take that as something that's still for today. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we should be doing that. So what a kill if, joy. <laughs> if EVP is, if there's nothing to it, then would we then be able to say, okay, I want to, I want to see if there's a ghost in this house. It's perfectly fine for me to, pull out my radio and get all my equipment ready and try and test and see if, if there's something there because there's nothing to it. Or would it be, would, would you guys want to say that there's some kind of a, a, a moral equivalence of pulling out your recorder and seeing if there's a ghost in the, in the well, room to contact a witch? That yeah, is such is, a good observation. Absolutely. This is Gadawa. You know, I actually, I would argue that, no, I think that the ghost hunters type thing where you're, you know, you're, you're holding that recorder out and you're saying, spirits, are you here? If you are here, speak to us. That is precisely the same thing as going to Ouija board, in my opinion. I, I would I would argue that that is the the uh, a prohibited thing for which we as Christians certainly certainly sh- would not want to uh, be around or or engage in because even though much of you know ninety percent of it is probably fraudulent or projection or suggestion mm-hmm. um, that the act uh, you know, again we're back to it's not about the electronic devices it's the act of opening yourself up to spirits that as Christians I would argue is the uh, the 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 evil or whatever you'd want to call it. So so you would you would basically suggest that you are volunteering to perform the the service of a medium. 
Yes, that's that's what I that's how I see it, mm-hmm. which is why I don't think it's a I don't think it's a, a a good thing, you know. I mean, I don't or I don't think it's a a merely material thing that has natural cause exp, explanations for everything. So Brian as a Hollywood guy, um I'm and I know you love to talk about horror. I know it's your it's your favorite genre. So. <laughs> you're <laughs> right along the same lines as I Okay, was. so so uh answer the question re- regarding like uh should Christians go to see paranormal activity? Why or why not? Under what circumstances would it be okay or why not? And I just think of that kind of a movie because it seems pretty close to the EVP thing. Well, yeah, no, that's a, you know, I, I won't take too much time on this, but I do think that that, that is a, a gray area of difficulty, um, realizing that, okay, this is fictional, a, a, a film that we're making, a horror film. First of all, the tradition of horror is you always do have to show that moment where the character opens themselves up. They have to open the portal, so to speak, uh, for the, the connection to take place, which is usually paranormal activity. It was a Ouija board. A lot of movies, it's a Ouija board, <laughs> The Exorcist. Right, it was a Ouija board and such, um, or even just uh, having familial uh, occultic connections within the family. Sometimes that's the case, you know. But there's still this the, in in a in a good horror story, which I think good storytelling is rooted in reality. There has to be this openness for that thing to to come through. Um, the question that becomes: uh, Does the fictional depiction of that? Does the act of of you know, telling a fictional version of that story and, and watching it, is it the equivalent of really doing it? And, you know, I, I would say there's arguments for and against it. And I actually have, I actually have a, a, a story uh, that's dealing with the, the demonic that makes me uh, balk at wanting to make the movie because I'm struggling with that very issue right now myself. You know, does the fictional portrayal or the fictional activity of that uh, in order to to, to teach a, a godly or moral lesson, right? You know, good intent is that. Does that also, you know, become a dangerous thing as well? And I'm I'm not sure. You know, I would say well, I'm it's, a lot for that. It's that was not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would side on the fact that it's just fiction. You're not actually actually partaking yeah. in it. It's just a phys- fictional representation of it. That's where I'd fall on it. Would, it I really also- think it. Go ahead, Dan. Oh, sorry. I was going to actually open this up for you anyway, Doug. Um, you probably know where I'm going with this, but um, Doug Van Dorn, DVD, you made a really good point that obviously if we are intentionally trying to capture spirit voices, uh, I mean, that that is necromancy, right? I mean, that... That if we yeah. if that's what we're setting out to do, um, whether we're skeptics or not, that that's that's a scary line to to walk along. But um, I also think that it all, a thing to consider is what what is happening in your mindset, even if you're watching a fictional horror film. And I hope you don't mind, Doug Overmeyer, but you have a really good anecdote that you have told about this before about watching horror films and the effect that it had on your family. Is it okay that I brought that up? Yeah, go ahead. Or do you want me to go talk about yeah, it? Yeah, you tell it. <laughs> well, I, I just noticed uh, a correlation. So I think my daughter, my oldest daughter, would be classified as psychically endowed, maybe. Uh, and when uh, we just we observed a correlation when I would watch certain horror movies in our house, even though she'd be asleep and not, they wouldn't be at a volume where she could hear and so forth, uh, she would have a nightmare. And 
it just it was a one to one correlation. I mean, I gave him up for three weeks, and she was nightmare free. And then I started watching him again because I, I really like you know certain horror films. And she started ha- she started having him again, and I'm like, oh. And so I just drew this. I, I made this connection that well, somehow my mind and my observation of, of this of this sort of uh, activity was bringing some sort of spiritual effect onto her. And so I just gave him up. I just just as the head of the house. Um, we don't watch those movies anymore. And in fact, now that she's even older, um, we're extremely cautious in what she watches because she is so sensitive to the spe- to sort of negative spiritual influences that she'll she'll have bad dreams quickly if we watch even like just even something that's kind of benign. We would think benign, but there's there's actually there's a lot of stuff on television that has occult influence. And it's just so we've just chosen sort of Colossians 3, setting our minds on things above, not on things below, you know, setting our minds on things that are good and pure and stuff. That's not to say there isn't a place to know that there's, a, there's, there's bad things out there. But in our household, we just, uh, we just refuse to watch it because it has such negative influences on our, on our daughter. And kind of going back to the um, – now, did you want to add something to that? No, I was. Right. I just really wanted you to put that out there because it was kind of on topic. Yeah, I mean, I kind of miss those films to be honest, but um, it's just something. It's just something I've we've chosen to do. But going back to you know, if you think there's a ghost in your house, do I get the the radio out to try to t- contact it? I mean, that's just you know. I think of when Israel did the conquest. Did they take a survey of the town? Are there giants in in this town? No, they just kicked everybody out. You know, if you didn't leave, that you were killed. I mean, if it's your house and you think there might be a spirit entity, don't talk to it. Kick it out. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's like this is holy ground. This is a uh, this is the kingdom. Ter- kingdom of God is, Amen. is you know God's rule and reign is in this house. You're not welcome if you're a demon or a spirit of any kind. Just get out. Just just go to the place where Jesus is prepared for you. And I, I think that's just it. I mean, don't talk to the stinking things. Kick them out. It's your house. That's my opinion. well put. Very well put. Brian, I, I, I want to ask you a question in light of your question about, you know, you're feeling conflicted about writing this story. Um, would you feel different if it was nonfiction? Uh, no. And the reason why the, the, the reason why is because to me, it's all, it is all about the theme or meaning or, or purpose of the story. And so you can have a, a horror film that has a very godless uh, worldview, but you can have one that has a very god godful worldview, like for instance, "Deliver Us from Evil," which is very strong Christian or "Exorcism of Emily Rose," very strong Christian message, Christian uh, worldview, dealing with the reality of spiritual evil and making it showing it what it is for what it is, which is what the Bible does, right? Mm-hmm. So, that, in that principle, was, that was where I was going because yeah. the Bible produces lots of nonfiction that's horror, you know? exactly. And so, I'm what I'm saying is, in principle, I have no problem with it. But let me let me tell you exactly what it is. So, I've got this this storyline where you know, dealing with pe- you know atheists who don't believe in God, mocking them, and for fun engaging in a uh, a satanic you know, sacrifice type of thing, right? Like, uh, like the old Anton LaVey type of thing. And they kind of mock it and make fun of it, right? But in, in, when you, in order to make a movie, you're, you're seeking verisimilitude, right? You're trying to make it realistic and the actors get into the roles. And, you know, and so if they actually do engage in this sort of, uh, you know, satanic sacrifice, even though, it's, even though it's fictional, you know, how close to that real world can you become without it 
hurting you. If you fake a murder with a gun, it's not a real bullet, yeah, fine. But when you're engaging in something more spiritual like that, uh, I'm not sure I have the answer fully for that one yet. You know, um, in general, I agree with Trey. Yeah, if you're if this is fictional, you're not, it's you're not really engaging in the reality of it. I, I believe in that as well, and uh, you know, and I believe in the essence of of fiction. Obviously, I'm a fiction writer, um, but when you're when you start to go near the occult. I, I guess I'm I'm the verisimilitude of storytelling is where I get a little concerned and I'm not sure where to come down yet. Yeah, I, I can see that because on on the one hand, you know, I I had sort of summarized, I, I don't know if it was you or someone else, but you're you're essentially offering yourself up, you know, yeah. to to serve the purpose of a medium. Yeah. And so when 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 you're writing though, and you know that this is going to be produced into a show. Are you offering someone else, the actors, to perform the service of a medium without intending that? But it was, so I can I can yeah. see where the where that conflict would be there. Yeah, um, abs- that's exactly what it is in, in the now, fiction because you're going to have you're going to ask someone to imitate this. Exactly, exactly, and and so for instance, I have no problem with my novels. I engage in all kinds of satanic stuff in my novels because I'm <laughs> I'm writing about what some other character has is doing, and I'm not engage. You know, I guess it's not the same as the physical the physicality of like you said having an actor actually act it out as if it were real. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, when we're talking about the spiritual world now as Christians, we believe that's a reality. And to materialists would wouldn't they think think it's a joke? Yeah. But I do think we have that responsibility and um there's not, there's description versus providing a template. Yes. Yes. Yeah. This reminds me a little bit of Umberto Eco's Focal's Pendulum, where a bunch of materialists decided to decided to reenact some of the occult activity at sort of mocking it and then they all got sucked into it and, oh uh, i didn't know that's what that was about that's yeah yeah it's 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 uh interesting but it's definitely from a gnostic standpoint but anyway it's that's an interesting uh, conundrum i kind of wonder if the if the if the heart condition or the heart position of the actors is what matters if they're non-believers and they go through the activity of of the the you know the rituals yeah. on the set if that matters or not i mean you know i don't know it's hard to say yeah. Oh. Well, like I said, I haven't really settled on it yet, as which is why I haven't pursued it. But I, I, you know, the overall message is very, very powerful of the story, and I think that it's worthy in that sense. But uh, yeah, I just haven't really successfully. Missed. I could make the argument that it's not, but I don't want to just be engaged in confirmation bias and just sort of you know justify and rationalize my prejudices. Mm-hmm. Um, but Brian, just get some. Some intercessors would pray for the actors without them knowing about it. So maybe that'll help. That's that. Uh, that is absolutely one of the uh, options that I have considered. <laughs> well, and I think it's just really, just personally, I just think it's really sweet that you're considering all of this before going into it, Brian. I think that's that's really great. That's something that maybe a lot of people wouldn't consider. So you know, I'm. Let's all pray for Brian to, <laughs> you know, know what is the best way to proceed. I think it's great that you're taking that into consideration. Well, thanks. And you know, I mean, the simple answer, or or or, or the uh, I don't know if I call it simple, but the creative answer actually, which is probably the direction I would probably go anyway, is you know how in movies 
showing everything is not always the best thing anyway. Sometimes cutting away, sometimes not showing the head in the box of the movie seven was actually far more brutal than actually showing something. So there is a way that, that things can be shot where you can shoot in little nips and pieces and not actually engage in a full, you know, like the, the full satanic uh, sacrifice or whatever, but just to show clips that imply, and then a lot can be talked of or referred to off screen. So there are, there are ways to creatively do it without going through the whole thing. But again, you know, at what, how much? And, and that's the question. Just like the, you have to ask the question of, you know, uh, is nudity acceptable? And if so, how much and how far do you go? It's the same thing with the occult as well. It's, it's a dangerous real world that even though, you know, I, I too am one of the predominantly skeptical persons about a lot of this stuff. I, as a Christian, since I do believe there is a reality to it, nevertheless, there's that tiny percentage where there's something going on there and, and it's more than what we than the material world. You know, that, that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, I don't really have a topic uh, next time, but I think um, I'm hoping all of you, you know, if you're interested, can come back next time and uh, are interested in the topic, you know, want to participate. But I think this was a good discussion. I think it really, it sort of captured the, uh, you know, kind of what we want to do, you know, with the episodes. You get into the research, then you talk about, you know, why it, it matters to even do it, you know, to uh, sort of bring it down, you know, to what the spiritual impact of this or that might be, or the theological uh, impact. And I think we, we really had both of them in this episode. I really ahead, enjoyed Dave. reading the articles and participating, and uh, I think it's just neat. I love the concept uh, of, of this show. I think it's, it's much needed, and there's so much scope, so much possibility. I'm looking forward to uh, reading more. Thanks again, Mike. Thanks, yep. thanks again, Thank, guys. Great Thanks for participating, yep. Bye guys. Bye guys. Bye guys. See you. Bye bye. See you later. Bye bye.